Greetings, it's my privilege to speak with you again. I just wanted to let you know how grateful I am that you would spend the time to watch this video from online or else listen to this as a CD or a DVD um, as given to one of our shut-ins. I want you to know I think about you. Um, I also want you to know that I am typically, as I am tonight, recording this in my office on Thursday evening before the Sunday and so this is my first time presenting the material verbally. It's a practice session sort of for me. And it does help a lot. I think I do better on Sunday mornings having done this once. But I appreciate um, you being part of the process and that you're willing to accept this first draft as my uh, best efforts at this time. And, and what God does is he helps me think about it through Friday, Saturday, and I um, firm it up and um, am able to maybe address some of the shortcomings that I see or whatever. So I just appreciate you being part of this process, especially if you're one of the dear ones that I know can only get this material from home since you're shut in. Um, today's message is continuing our series on the book of Matthew, which we've entitled The King from Heaven. And we're learning so much about Jesus in this series, and, and so it's appropriate that we recognize him as king. And today, as we continue to work through the first teaching section from Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, um, we're going to look at Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24, and I've entitled this Treasure, which is makes a lot of sense because this is the, is the part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus does in fact talk about treasure. I want to also say that um, I'm heavily leaning on Jesus's sermon, right? So this is his sermon first, and so we're trying to unpack it. But I also want to acknowledge that I'm influenced a lot by other preachers and the voices I hear. And in particular, Tim Keller has a message that he did in 2013, I think it is, um, on this same section. And so I've listened to that. And so some of the wording or some of the ideas might sound familiar, and I commend his version to you. It's, it's probably better than mine, for sure. But I just want you to know that I'm influenced by it, but that I'm still owning my own outline and, and my own take on the material. But um, we are all really the products of the voices we've heard, and I so much appreciate his voice. So I, I want to at least tip the hat and acknowledge his influence in my life. Well, let me read for you this passage, and then we'll talk about it. In Matthew chapter 6, this is right after the Lord's Prayer. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
So again, for the context here, we have seen that the Sermon on the Mount sets an ethical standard that's so high we could never reach it. But it is also then an explanation of who Jesus is and what his personal character is like and how perfect he is. And then since those of us who have received Jesus by faith and accepted his work of righteousness on our behalf, we can um, now become more and more like him. Uh, we are not living according to the Sermon on the Mount in order to gain God's favor or to have him love us, but it is precisely because he has already loved us and demonstrated that love in Jesus and that our sins have already been forgiven and we already have righteousness obtained with God through Jesus. Now we can respond to him and have the right kind of love and the right kind of treasure and, and do what Jesus wants us to do. I also want to remind us that, that there are more than one way to try to live a religious life. And in general, we tend to try to live religiously. People in the world try to live religiously through their um, aspirations of trying to do good deeds and to do good works and somehow to make God uh, love us because we are doing such good things. After all, we're not as bad as the next guy. But we understand from the Bible that there is nothing righteous that we can do that can actually earn God's favor. Even our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so we need to depend 100% on the work of Jesus, the righteousness that he obtained by living a perfect life. And then that he credits to our account by taking our punishment on the cross. Jesus pays the debt for our sins. And then we are able to receive that credit against our account if we receive Jesus's wonderful gift for us. And so in that context, then in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been struggling also with the idea that even having now become believers, we still tend to try to live the Christian life by doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. And as I've grown in my spiritual walk, and as I've um, become more aware of the, the teachings of Jesus and understanding the salvation we have, the answer for us is not ultimately to work harder at doing right things and work harder at not doing bad things, but rather to, to spend more effort on believing what's already true, that Jesus has already freed us from our sins and he already loves us that much and understanding his love and how great it is and being motivated by this new love, this new treasure, so that it changes the way we live. And so that's really the goal for this message is to try to understand those dynamics and to see how our treasure should change. So let's ask God to help us in that effort. Father in heaven, we do thank you and, and praise you for the work of the Lord Jesus. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you died for us. Help us to now put your love in our lives by trusting and believing what you say and help us to uh, relocate our treasure into the right place so that we can rightly have our loves ordered and uh, follow you as you would have us to in your name we pray amen so i have uh, four questions i think today that i'm going to ask uh, one of them is what is our problem in general, Jesus is getting real direct now. It's the middle of the Sermon of the Mount, basically the middle material, and he's getting right to the point. And, and so I want to say, according to Jesus, then what is our problem? And the first part of our problem is, is that we are blind about our own treasures. 
if you'll see this little section here, when Jesus says, do not start for yourselves treasures in heaven or on earth, but start for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then he talks about blindness. And then he goes on and talks about you can't serve God and money. So in the middle of his middle section, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And so if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So if there's light in the room, you can move around the room and you don't trip over things. That makes sense. And if your whole, if your eyes are healthy, you, you see the right way. And so you can benefit from the light and your whole body will be full of light. And so you move around and don't stub your toe. But if your eyes are unhealthy, if your eyes are blinded, if your eyes are not seeing the right way, then your whole body is subject to or full of darkness. And so if that's true, if then the light that's within you, as, as limited as we are, if the light that's within us is darkness, that's a really great darkness. And so why does Jesus talk about this right in the middle of his uh, message about um, uh, treasures? What does this have to do with treasure? And I think the point that he's trying to make or that he is making well is that we tend to be blinded about where our treasures are. We, uh, we think that other people struggle with greed, but we don't. We think that other people struggle with worry, but we don't. We have this tendency to view our own treasuring, our own loves, through, uh, through rose-colored glasses. In other words, the light that's within us is darkness. I'm not seeing my own self the way that it, I should. And it's also interesting to know that this word for healthy here in verse 22, if your eyes are healthy, and again in verse 23, if your eyes are unhealthy, that word for healthy in the Greek is also the word for open. If your eyes are open or your eyes are unopened, and it can also be associated with a generous spirit. So if your eyes are open-handed, if you're a generous person, if you're open to giving, and so there's a, a double pun kind of going on here that Jesus is saying. So if your eyes are generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if you're not generous, then you're in darkness. And so the point is, is that whether or not we are generous is an indicator of and the degree of which we are blinded by our own treasures. And so the point, the first point I'm trying to make is that our problem is, is that we are blind about our own treasures. I am not really all that insightful into my own areas of greed because I just slow, so gradually buy in to the value systems that su surround me and I so gradually give into it that I don't even recognize it in my own life. And so um, I also wanted to point out, you know, Tim Keller reminded me that um, Jesus warns us to watch out for all kinds of greed because there's something about financial treasure-oriented greed that's hard for us to see. We need to watch out for it. We're blind to it. He doesn't tell us to watch out for other sins because they're more obvious to us. But this particular sin is easy to deceive ourselves. So we're blind about our own treasure. We're blind about where it is. But there's another thing is that our part of our problem is we think we can love competing treasures. We have this idea in our heart that we can um, love two things the same and that I can love this and I can love that and I'm not really in conflict. And it's, it's just simply not true. Jesus says at the end, he says, no one can serve two masters. 
Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot be, uh, you cannot have two masters. And so I wanted to point on the word here, the word master. Yes, it's true that we can have two loves in the sense that I love pizza and I also love tacos. And so I could say that that's true. And those aren't necessarily competing. They're both true. But I cannot have two ultimate loves. There cannot be two grand ends, the very end, the ultimate, the, the most significant. And so Jesus is calling those masters. You cannot have two masters. Either one master will be in charge of the other, or the other will be in charge of the other. You cannot have two masters. There's one that is the greater of the two. And so you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll despise the one and hate the other, love the other. And so our problem is that not only that are we tending to be blind about our own uh, areas of greed or avarice or worry or, or um, uh, other love of money, but we also have this tendency to think that we're not violating the love for God. We would say, oh yeah, I love God, and yet all the while we still love something else. And so we deceive ourselves and think that we can have competing treasures when they're, it's really not true. Then the other thing that um, I think is our problem is that we tend to justify ourselves. We compare ourselves to other people. We justify ourselves in, the, in our own thinking. It says, but this is the right way to go. This is the best treasure. I should love this and I should love that. For example, if I, if I really love being a pastor and I really think that that's the most important thing and if being a pastor was my ultimate love and you know the, the thrill of helping other people grow and encouraging people when they're sad and uh, you know being there at a funeral and helping somebody get over their grief or being at a wedding and helping people celebrate their love or you know being there at the hospital when a baby is born and celebrating the new life if i if i love that how could that be a bad thing but if i love being a pastor more than i love jesus if my identity is bound up in my being a pastor, then I am broken, right? I've got a master, I've got a treasure that's in the wrong spot. And it sounds like such a good treasure. It should be, you should love to be a pastor. And so I can justify myself, I can make it sound pretty good, when in reality, I've let even being a servant of Jesus a, I've let my identity as a servant, my reputation as a servant, my, my reputation as a preacher or whatever else, I'm letting that be an idol for me. I'm letting it be my ultimate identity. And so um, one of the ways that we demonstrate as our problem is we justify ourselves. Look at this occasion in Luke. Um, again, Jesus is saying the same things, and so uh, Luke records it. No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then look what Luke includes. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. So they mocked Jesus. They said, that's ridiculous. You don't have, uh, you don't have any insight into what's real at all. It's, we, we don't love money. And Jesus said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. You see, where your treasure is, is where your heart is. 
and God knows where your heart is. And you can say that you love serving people, but it's very true that in your heart you could love money. And so these Pharisees who loved money, they loved all the power and the influence and the wealth that they obtained because they were leaders of the people and influential and people would pay them for services and all these things. They loved money. And he said, Jesus said to them, you are justifying yourselves in the eyes of others. You can maybe betray and trick other people and think that it's not your love, but God knows your hearts. I know what you truly love and what people value highly is actually detestable in God's sight. What you and I tend to think is the most important, what we treasure, those things are most often just detestable to God. So what are some of the things that we would maybe um, love that would be detestable to God? Well, money, um, to, to have money for the power that it gives us, the pleasures that it gives us in the present, or even another way, the way that we would uh, love money so that because it gives us security in the future. And so we save up and save up and invest so that we don't have to worry about anything going wrong in the future. Or maybe our appearance. Maybe one of the things that we love is that we just want to be handsome or beautiful. And so we put all kinds of effort and treasure into uh, fixing our body and making ourselves beautiful and buying special clothing and buying you know, just a lot of attention to our appearance. But that's detestable to God. God looks on the heart. He doesn't look on the outward appearance. Or how about um, power? We want to be really influential and have lots of people do what we say. Or maybe um, the authority of our position. Maybe being a boss or being the best one. Maybe even the reputation of being really smart. Maybe that's what we value highly. So we want everybody to know that we're a scholar and we have so much knowledge and we have such a large vocabulary. And so what, what we're valuing, what we're treasuring are things that are not honoring to God, things that God does not regard as important. And so our problem is that we are blind about where our treasures are. We think we can love competing treasures and Jesus says you can't. And we justify ourselves in the middle of all this, even though we think we can do it. God sees our hearts and he knows what the truth is, even no matter how much we try to justify ourselves. So that was my first question. What is our problem according to Jesus? And I think if you've been following me at all, you would be persuaded that this is a, a sticky problem to solve. So the next question is, where is our treasure? How would we know where our treasure is? If you want to say, you know, well, I'm trying to love God the most. He's the most important to me. Prove to me that my treasure is not where it should be. Well, that's what this question is going to do is where is our treasure? So how do we find out where our treasure is? Well, one of them is, uh, one of the ideas is what feels expensive. You can tell when you love something by whether or not it's, it feels expensive. Um, I love airplanes and I haven't been at an air show for several years. And so there's a there's a thunder over Michigan coming up in a couple of weeks. And so I went and bought a ticket for my car to go in and sit there all day long and watch airplanes. And so I, I'm, I'm giddy as a schoolboy trying to, I can hardly stand myself just waiting to go watch all these airplanes. I haven't seen that kind of a show in a long time. It's going to have both the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds in the same day. And so I'm going to really enjoy that. I hope the weather's nice. But the point is, is that purchasing that ticket for the car to go in 
for the for the show doesn't didn't even seem like money it would just flew out of my account without even thinking if it would have been twice as much i probably would have spent the same i would have spent twice as much without even blinking an eye it wouldn't it didn't bother me to spend that money but then on the other hand if it was something like um you know maybe going to watch a baseball game or something man i don't really care that much about i i don't mind a good stadium hot dog and i like to eat peanuts and all that stuff but man i wouldn't put a lot of money into a baseball game I, not right now i don't really follow any teams i don't know anybody on the team I'm, they're not you know the tigers aren't that great anyway and so what i'm trying to illustrate is that the things that feel expensive are things that are not my treasure i don't really love baseball but if I love baseball like I love the air show, it would be no problem at all to drop a lot of money to go watch a ball game. You see, what feels expensive is not my treasure, but what doesn't feel expensive, where my money goes without even thinking twice, the first place it goes, that shows where my treasure is. You see, the way I spend my money is like a picture. It's like a, an illustration, a, a diagnostic, it's like an x-ray of my value system, of my loves. The things that it's easy for me to spend money on shows you where my heart is. It shows you what's, what my treasure is. And so what Jesus is saying is where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can't help it. The things that you regard as the most cool, most important, that's where your heart goes. That's what you think about. That's where your money goes. It just flies out of your wallet. Uh, to borrow another phrase from Tim Keller. So one of the ways we can tell where our treasure is is to see where it feels expensive. Another one is, is how safe is it? Or what do we worry about is another way of asking the same question. So the point is, is I can tell where my treasure is by, by looking at the things that make me nervous. How safe is my identity? If, if for example, I was really... Uh, into my um, my athletic performance, if that was my greatest treasure, and man, you know, every time I would twist my ankle, or every time I would not uh, have a new pain, I would get freaked out, I would worry about it, because it's so fragile, and it's kind of ironic that the more I care about my physical conditioning, the more I'm bothered by the things that I can't do to stay in shape. I, I'm kind of embarrassed, frankly, um, I've been trying to run again, and I ran a 5K this past weekend. And, I, man, I cannot run very fast or very far anymore. It's, uh, I, I can't explain exactly, but it's kind of discouraging. It takes me lots longer. One time I was running along at my full pace, and I was barely passing a couple of people who were walking. And I had enough time to say to them, I say, hey, passing on your left, but then I had enough time to say, if, you know, although it sort of seems like an exaggeration to say I'm passing because it's taking me so long to get past you. And so as I'm getting past them, one of them said, hey, there's a bug on your back. And they, they sped up a little bit and knocked the bug off my back. And so here's this entire conversation with a bug being knocked off my back the entire time. And I'm running and they're walking. So uh, the point is, is my speed is long gone. The point is, is how safe is it? If it bothers me a lot, if it's more than just a funny story, then my treasure is in my body's performance and not where else it should be.
So one of the things that tells us where our treasures is, do we worry about it? And again, Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The whole point is, is that if we have treasures on earth, if we put our treasures in those places that are temporary and fragile, they will be destroyed. They will be moth-eaten. They will de degrade. If your treasure is your beauty, you're gonna just you're just gonna be frustrated by how fast time makes you not so pretty anymore. If your treasure is in your money, your security, then you're gonna stress every time the stock market takes a ripple. And you, when you're if you're if you're if your treasure is in your um, ability to perform music, then every time you encounter a better musician, you're gonna have struggles. Or every time you get a, a you you neglect your skill, you, you notice how quickly your skills get rusty. And so all of these things, they, if you're worried about it and it bothers you to lose it, then that treasure is on earth rather than on heaven. So well, how do you know where your treasure is? One of the ways is look where it's easy to spend money, where it's super easy to just fly out of your wallet. That's probably your treasure. Is it something you worry about and think about all the time? It's probably your treasure. And then another question is what happens when we lose it? What happens if, for example, you're an Olympic athlete and you um, were going to perform and compete in these games and you were, you were favored to get the gold medal in your event and then somehow you get injured or something else goes wrong and, and you can't compete and you can't run. Does it destroy you? Do, you? do you lose yourself? Do you say, I don't know who I am anymore? If you did, if I did do something like that, then then I would be admitting that my identity was tied up in it and I lost myself. You see, if there's something in this world that we lose, like even a loved one, like if if my, my wife were to die and I were to lose her, would I lose my identity too? I, would, I would, be, would I say things like, I don't know who I am anymore? That's very possible and I think it happens to a lot of people. But the point is, is if it's really true that I don't know who I am anymore, then somehow my identity was ultimately tied to Tammy and that's not the right place to be. That's a treasure in the wrong spot. So again, here Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for you to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? You could have a treasure that gets you the whole world. You could gain the whole world, but if you lose yourself when it's gone, he says, what can you give in exchange for your soul? If you lose your identity, if losing this treasure causes you to lose your identity, then you have nothing at all. So as a diagnostic question, where is our treasure? Um, one of the ways we can find out, we can ask God to help us see where our treasures are. What feels expensive versus where does the money go easy? If it does not feel expensive, it's probably a treasure. It, do I worry about it? How safe is it? Does it bother me how unsafe it is? It may be a treasure. And what if I lose it? If I, would I freak out? Would I lose my identity? Then it's probably my treasure. So uh, what is our problem? Where is our treasure? And the next question is, well, then how do we relocate our treasure where it should be? And I, again, I'm using Tim Keller's words here, relocate. How do we relocate our treasure? You see, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth 
but store for yourselves treasures in heaven. So how, uh, I'll, maybe I buy in, maybe I agree that my problem is I am blind to my own treasure and my heart is in the wrong place and I and I do have struggles giving money to God. It feels super expensive to give a tithe, but I just let my money fly out of my pocket to buy clothes. And so where where's my treasure? I may be right. So how do I relocate my treasure? How do I fix my problem? Well, of course, we're assuming that we've already done business with Jesus and asked him to forgive us for our sins. But having done that, having become believers, how do we relocate our treasure? Well, I think there's a couple of steps. First of all, we need to admit, admit where our treasure is now. You see, this is the repentance part. We need to recognize that our are, we are desperately weak, wicked. Our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. And we, we need to admit that our treasures are in the wrong spot. And we need to understand that we tend to love things that God does not. And we love things in this world. And, and our hearts are super wicked. You know, part of this whole problem, part of what makes us such a, a sticky, difficult problem to solve is that we're really kind of embarrassed about what our real treasures are. Maybe more than embarrassed, we're ashamed. If you knew what I really loved, I would be ashamed because I would never want to admit to you that I really love pleasure or that I really love everybody's adoration, that I'm a proud person, or that I really love the power that I get when lots of people like me. If that's what it is, I would never want to admit that. That's so embarrassing. Nobody would be that selfish or self-absorbed. But you see, that's what we really do. We do have treasures in bad places, and so we need to admit that. Look what the Bible says. It says, this is the verdict. This is John uh, John chapter 3, right after John 3, 16. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So the truth is, is that very often the things that we love are actually de deeds of darkness. We love lustful thoughts and expressions and feelings. We love prideful experiences. We love um, the adoration of other people. These are things are these are things in the darkness. We love thrill. Or how about do not love the world or anything in the world? If you love the world, love for the Father is not in you. You can't love the world and love the Father the same. One or the other has to be master. Everything in the world, the cravings of sinful people, the lust of their eyes, and the boasting about what they have and do. So their flesh, their eyes, their, their pride, all of these things come not from the Father, but from the world. We're embarrassed about, we're ashamed of our real treasures because we know that these things are sinful and they, they do not focus on God. The world and its desires pass away. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, right? But whoever does the will of God lives forever but store it for yourself treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed so the first step to relocating your treasure is to admit where it really is and to recognize how sinful i am the next step is then to see the beauty of jesus's love you see god demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners christ died for us when we think about what jesus did for us on the cross can you imagine what is it that Jesus treasured? He said, the Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus had everything. He had fame and glory in heaven. He had all of the wealth of the universe. He could create gold, so 
He was wealthier than wealthy could be. He had everything. So why would he come to earth? Why would he do what he did? It was one thing that he couldn't uh, have. It was one thing that he did not have, and that was you and I. And so Jesus treasured us as his people so much that he left all of his other things. You see, it was not hard for him to spend his money on what his real treasure was, and his treasure was us. And so Jesus loved us while we were still sinners. Christ came to earth and died for us while we still hated him. And he purchased us with his blood, and he rose from the dead. And the Bible says he will see the fruit of his labor and be satisfied. Jesus gets what he wanted. He gets us as his treasure. And so Jesus loves us so much that he went through all of the horrible agony. He, he was uh, rejected on the cross. He didn't, uh, I heard another message from Tim Keller this uh, today even, I think. And, and he, he said, Jesus didn't say, my God, my God, the nails hurt so bad. Or my God, my God, I can't hardly breathe. No, what, what Jesus said on the cross was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus lost everything for our sake. And so when we see what Jesus did for us, we see the beauty of his love and we see how much, how, how great he treasures us as his people. And so then our response to him can be to receive and respond to Jesus's love. When we see what he did for us, we recognize who he is, then we can receive his love, accept it and believe that he loves us that much and then respond to that kind of love uh, the Bible says he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of a human's decision or a husband's will, but children born of God. So you and I can have our treasure relocated when we see what Jesus did for us and we realize how completely he loves us. And we see how terrible our treasure, our sin is. And so first we admit how sinful we are. And then secondly, we see the beauty of Jesus' love for us. We are, we are more sinful than we could have possibly imagined. And Jesus loves us more than we could possibly have hoped. When we see that and respond to that and see Jesus' love, then he becomes our greatest treasure. How could I not love him more than any and everything else? How could I not love him more than anyone else? because he has done that for me. And having done that for me, he deserves my total loyalty. He is the greatest person ever, not only in, in his own self-existent perfection, but also in his goodness and kindness to me. And so it's double, he deserves, even if he never did anything for me personally, he deserves all of the worship and adoration of my entire life. But he also died for me, and so he loves me that much, and so I can respond back to him with the same kind of love. So what a blessing. So our problem is that our treasure is in the wrong place, and we can find out where it is without very much thinking. But when we really, how do we relocate our treasure? We see the beauty of Jesus, what he's done for us, and how he treasured us, and so we treasure him the same. And then that leads to my last question. Well, what about everything else? If I can't love God and money, does this mean it's wrong to have money? Or if I can't love God and, you know, the Bible says I'm supposed to hate my mother and father by comparison to the way I love God, does that mean I'm wrong to love my 
my wife or my children? Is that wrong to have more than one love? Is it wrong to love tacos and pizza or whatever? So what about everything else? First of all, seek first. Seek first, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven. You see, what he's saying here is that our loves need to be ordered. It's not that we can't love multiple things. It's that the loves have to be prioritized. Jesus has to be our number one. We love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and we love Jesus with everything in us. We make him our greatest treasure. He is the one. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a field that the man found a treasure in the field and he went and sold everything he had and bought the field. You see, it was super easy for the man to get rid of everything else to get the one treasure. He wasn't even like spending it because the treasure was so great. Or like the man who collected pearls and he found the one pearl, the perfect pearl, and he went and sold everything else he had and got the one pearl. Why? Because nothing else mattered anymore. The pearl was the greatest treasure. So seeking first the kingdom of heaven, our loves are ordered, God is the number one, then, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, when we rightly order our loves, when Jesus is number one, he gives us the other things as number two, three, four, five, six down the line. He gives us those things as well. And so now I get to love my wife because Jesus loves my wife and he wants me to honor him in the relationship. So I didn't lose my love for Tammy. I, I get it even better now because Jesus is my number one love. And I, it's not that I, I hate my job. I can actually love my job, but it's a job that has meaning in the, in the grand scheme of the universe. I love my job for Jesus' sake. I get to do my job for him. I love being a pastor, not because it's my ultimate identity, it's not my number one, but because it's the way I get to serve my number one, who is Jesus. And so I get to I get to have money, not because the money is number one, but because the money is something that I get to steward and I get to use it to help people come to Jesus. And so I want to, it's not even like spending when I give it away for Jesus' sake. It doesn't even, it should fly out of my pocket because I love Jesus so much. And I don't need to worry about the future and all the sec my security is in Jesus, not in, not in my bank account or my retirement account. And so all these things are given to me as well. You see, when I try to hold on to the world and lose God, I lose everything. But when I hold on to Jesus as the number one, I get the rest of the world brought in too. You know, and even if I lose something here, if I lose my health or I lose my my spouse or or I lose um, my job even, it's just temporary because I know that in the end, everything will be made right and all my suffering will not be compared to the glory that will be revealed in me and my life. And so I'm going to be the best version of myself that you never, I never could have imagined. And so whether I can I run or not, Someday I'll be able to run and never be tired. I'll, I'll have all of the things. It's just a temporary loss. There's a version of me coming that I can't even imagine. It's above what I can ask or think, beyond what I can imagine. And so when I love Jesus first, my loves are ordered and my other loves make sense. And it's actually valuable to love all my children because 
Jesus loves them and he wants me to be their father. And it makes sense for me to love my job and all of these, uh, my art, I can love my music because I'm doing it for Jesus. Do you see how it works? So we get all these other things too. You see, if we lose our life for Jesus' sake, we find it. But then what do we want to do? We want to love what Jesus loves. Who does Jesus love? Well, first of all, we'd want to say a new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone know, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So one of the things we have to acknowledge that who Jesus loves, if Jesus left everything to treasure me enough to die for me, then you'd better love me too. And if Jesus... He left everything and spent it all and treasured you as another one of his children, then I better love you too. Because if Jesus loves you that much, how can I not love you that much? And so we're supposed to love one another as the ones that Jesus loves. What glory, what, what privilege, what honor is given to us that we are loved by Jesus that way. So we need to love what Jesus loves. He loves the truth. He loves beauty. He loves the Father's name. He loves sins to be forgiven. He loves it when people turn the other cheek. He loves the poor in spirit. He loves those who are meek. He loves those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I should love those too. He loves people who are merciful. He loves mercy. I should love mercy. What a privilege to have the opportunity to be merciful for Jesus. He loves the pure in heart. I should love the pure in heart. He loves peacemakers. I should, I should do, I should humble myself. I should do whatever it takes to make peace because I, I love peacemakers because Jesus loves peacemakers. I should even be willing to be persecuted for Jesus' sake. I should consider it a privilege. I guess that's why he says rejoice and be glad. When people say evil against you because of me, because great is your reward in heaven. And so we need to love what Jesus loves. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much that you are working on our treasures and that when our heart is in the right place, we don't worry so much about, we don't uh, struggle so much about what we should do or not do, do or not do, but rather we can trust you that you've already defeated sin in our lives and we can focus on who we love and the fact that we love Jesus should so greatly influence and override our lives that that truth would dispel all other fears and we'll thank you in Jesus name amen thank you for joining us today for more information about our church online resources and in-person services our website is the best place to check, wpbiblefellowship.org. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Jesus and may you grow in his grace.